Welcome to Every Believer Confident, hosted by Dr. Mark Farnham, where we explore in seven minutes or less how to effectively share and defend your faith. This is apologetics for the average Christian, with ideas and practical principles that can help you this week as you engage unbelievers with the good news of the gospel. Let's go get some confidence. Welcome back to the Every Believer Confident Podcast, and this is Dr. Mark Farnham. We're continuing the conversation about what Romans 1 reveals to us regarding what goes on in the heart and mind of every unbeliever when we seek to engage them with the gospel. In the last episode, we talked about the fact that Romans 1 tells us that the unbeliever knows God, knows that he's guilty before God, and is in a relationship of wrath with God. And that has significant implications for our engagement with unbelievers. Every unbeliever I talk to, whether he wants to admit it or not, knows God exists and knows that he's guilty before God. So even if he denies knowing God in his heart, he knows God and knows that God's wrath is awaiting him if he does not repent. This means that when I engage an unbeliever in conversation about spiritual truths, I'm not initiating a conversation with her regarding something about which she knows nothing. Although the details of the gospel may be new to her, she already knows the holiness and wrath of the true God. And that knowledge of God she possesses is something she has to resist every day. So when I strike up a conversation with her, I'm actually entering a conversation that is already going on. This is another one of those truths that was so helpful to me when I first learned it. When I speak to someone about the truth of Christ, engage them with the gospel, challenge their unbelief, I'm entering a conversation that is already going on. Rather than a dialogue, it's actually a trialogue. She is already in conversation with the reality of God and his holy demands on her. This takes all the pressure off of me as a Christian because I am telling her something she already knows. And this is why my presentation of the gospel must be clear, focused on the person and work of Christ, and emphasizing God's loving call to repentance and belief. But the question arises, how can Romans 1 say that all people know God if there are some that deny it? The key is found in Romans 1.18 at the end of the verse, where we are told that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That is the key to understanding the unbeliever is recognizing that unbelievers suppress the truth. That is, they actively resist in a dishonest fashion the knowledge of God of which they are quite aware. The word suppress here means to push down or hold back that which is trying to rise to the surface. Think about, for example, a beach ball. If you were to try to hold a beach ball underwater, it would continue to pop up. The buoyancy of a beach ball means that while you can, with great effort, momentarily hold it underwater, it will quickly rise to the surface. In the same way, unbelievers daily push down on the knowledge of God that rises in them through both the implanted knowledge of God and the testimony of the created order that they see and experience every day. This knowledge of God is inescapable, as is the guilt for sin. The only way a person can live with such an in-your-face awareness and not be overwhelmed with God's presence is to actively resist this knowledge. And the truth is suppression happens in a thousand different ways. 
Some people suppress the truth by turning to other religions and redirecting the worship that's due to God alone to other deities. This is one of the explanations for why there are so many religions in the world. Every one of them is an attempt to worship something other than the one true God so that the individual does not have to confess his guilt and accept God's terms for salvation. The truth of this is confirmed in the common attempts by all religions to offer a way for the adherents to offer a sacrifice to atone for their sins. By redirecting their worship to other religions, unbelievers mute the voice of God in their hearts and satisfy themselves that they are fine the way they are. Why would people invent alternate religions throughout human history when the true worship of God results in salvation as a gift and not the result of a lifetime of trying to be good enough? That's a great question, but think of the reality of what the true message of salvation demands. The gospel calls guilty sinners who have broken God's commands, rebelled against him, become enemies of God, worshipped his creation rather than him, and made idols out of the good gifts of God to stand before this holy God and admit this rebellion. It requires someone who is filthy, stained, and without any claim on God's grace to appear before he who dwells in unapproachable light and ask for what he does not deserve. The sinner has to admit that he deserves God's righteous wrath against sin and can do nothing about it except to cast himself on God's mercy, with no guarantee other than God's promise that if he does this, he'll be forgiven. When we consider the magnitude and reality of this picture, we see that it was far easier for fallen human beings since the time of Cain and his descendants to create their own ways to please God, and in doing so to change their beliefs regarding who God is and what he's like. By exchanging the truth of God for a lie, as Romans 1 says, those who rebel imagine a God who can be appeased with less than holiness. They imagine other ways that God or gods can be pleased and also controlled and manipulated, which is how pagan worship works. Even though this emerging religion may have incredibly difficult requirements for appeasing the gods, it can still be done by that person in their own efforts. And in the process, when the now pagan does fulfill the requirements, the gods owe him. Grace is not operative here. Everything is about a person's effort and how they deserve or merit the favor of the gods. In their spiritual rebellion against a gracious and merciful God, most people would rather have this arrangement than the free gift of the gospel. Well, I hope that this start to explaining the way people suppress the truth of God is helpful. When you think of world religions, remember that they all come from, at their root, the desire not to face up to the true God, but to create their own. So as you talk to people about the gospel, and they happen to be religious, remember what they're doing. They're suppressing the truth of God and turning to another religion, other gods, other deities, that will provide them an easier way to salvation. And our job is to show them that that will never provide the way to salvation, and only Christ can do that. Hope this is helpful to you. In the next episode, we're going to look at other ways that people suppress the truth of God. May God bless you as you seek to engage unbelievers with the gospel. For more information on how you can host a practical apologetics conference at your church, or to listen to past episodes, please visit apologeticsforthechurch.org.